Now we've been talking this last couple of weeks, we've been talking on a, on a, on a, on a topic called the gospel of grace or the, the power of the gospel. And, and this morning I want to conclude with, with, um, with this, uh, well I don't really want to call it a series that we spoke on, rather a, few, a topic that we took and we just dived into the word and we took some revelation on what is the true gospel? What is the gospel of grace? Why, why is there so many different aspects of you talk about the gospel? And especially the gospel of grace. And how do you bring those two together? And, and it was so good to speak about, about this because it, it actually started giving me a better foundation of understanding what this really is. And how much power it actually comes from it. And, and that's why why we did it because we want a true solid foundation i mean building a house building a church the most important thing you want is to build a strong foundation in what do we believe and and what we do believe is that we believe definitely we believe in the new covenant that says that we are the righteousness of god through jesus christ or in jesus christ that means that there is grace in the gospel it's a gospel of grace that's how paul named it, it says by the gospel of grace he speaks about it. It's not a gospel of law of Moses. It was a gospel of grace. And that's why we spoke about last week quickly. We, we looked at the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And how we are supposed to live the new covenant 100% and reject the old covenant 100%. It's either living one or the other. And that's what we spoke about and said that they, if you live a mixture between the two, it will bring limitations to your life and who you are and what God has called you to be. That you feel that I feel inadequate to do this or to pray in front of others or to read my Bible or, or to hear God's voice. But sometimes we mix law with the grace or the new covenant. We feel we have to do the works to get more of God. But it's not that. It's, it's more of knowing who we are, standing in the righteousness of God and seeing what God can do through our lives, which is so amazing. Now this morning... As I start my, my, my sermon, I want to ask a question. <coughs> I want to ask, what is your, how do you see the value of your life? If you think about your life, if I look at each and every one of you, and I ask you, what is the value of your life? What would your thoughts be? What would the third, first thing that comes to mind be? If you have to take notes on that, what would you write down? Well, let me follow that up. See, will the value you place in your life determine how you live it? You see, it's something I think about often. It's like, what is the value of my life? My value of my life is that I'm alive. I'm a dad to two wonderful girls, to a wife, to amazing. I mean, there's family in my life. There's things I do. My life's got value. But will the value I place on my life determine how I live it? And how do I live it? You see, it, it, it always brings me to a place of really taking ownership of who God called me to be. You see, studies have shown that if a normal man or woman live for, say, up to 70 years, I'm not saying they're going to pass away at 70, but up to an age of 70 years, they've taken some um, scientific measurements, or what do you call it? A, um, they determined what, what, do you, what do we spend our, our life on in 70 years? On what... What's the main things we spend our life on in 70 years? So they had this massive um, survey they did in America 
where all the surveys usually happen. So I wish we had more African surveys <laughs> that we can see. But they have had an American survey about 10 years ago. Now, this is a long time ago. But they, 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 they actually came up with the following. Can you help me? Thank you. I think you're out of reach or it's off. There we go. They said that you sleep for about 23 years. You work for about 16 years of that. We, we look, watch TV. Nowadays, I think this is going to be different because social media and those things will, will bump that up quite significantly. But eight years of your life is just watching TV. Six years of your life is just eating. I mean, just how much do you think you can eat in six years? Non-stop. <laughs> then travel and leisure. Travel is six years. Leisure, four and a half years. Like four and a half years of holiday. Think about that. That sounds like I can do with that right now. <laughs> four and a half years. Then getting dressed. Two years. I mean, goodness. That's, that's probably not men. Eh? That's just, uh, that's, really that's probably woman. That's a woman thing. Or maybe woman is four years. But then the, the shocking thing for me was that religion or belief or church was only 0.7%. A half a year in your life. A half a year and I, and I know this is a, from a religious perspective and I think in South Africa it would be different because we grow up in a different perspective but but it's so powerful if you think of what do you divide your life up with what gives your life value that if you think well listen we have to work we have to sleep God made us to sleep so that that's understandably but how much in our life and, and I would probably change it not to religion but to my relationship with God how much do I spend with that Knowing who I am. Now today I want to speak about the following. And, and I, I put it on there. It's, I want to speak about the power of living by faith. The power of living by faith. Did you know that when we live by faith, there's actually power that's connected to that. There's power that's connected to that. We don't just live for ourselves. We live by something. By a value. Or by something that, that gives us momentum to go forward in life. And therefore I want to speak about living by faith but there's a power to it see what do we gain to life to live our life by faith every day so if you live your life by faith every day what will you gain now look what paul said in, in ephesians 1 verse 19 he actually answered the question he says in the passion translation i'm going to read a couple of uh, stuff out of the passion translation today it says i pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Now, it might be a familiar scripture to all of us because we've worked through the book of, book of Ephesians in the month of July this year. And so just a quick reminder. Do you remember this? That Paul says that you will experience immeasurable greatness of God's power. By what? By our faith. So it makes me answer the, ask the question, okay, well, <laughs> Maybe my faith has got more in it than I thought. I need to have more faith. I need to have more faith of what I'm doing and how I'm doing things. Now my question after reading the scriptures is the following. What if we knew the power given to us when we were born? Or born again? How will you live your life differently? Think about it. If you were born and you knew you were Superman. Just yeah. would you walk around and and walk to the shop? No, you would fly to the shop, or you would. I mean, there, there's a different. They, you live your life differently. 
when you know you were born with something greater than you thought you had? How about you were born being a, mil a billionaire not knowing it? And by 18 you found out, oh, I've been a billionaire all this time. Oh my goodness. Oh, bummer. <laughs> no, I don't have one billion. I've got like four billion of like interest. But, but think about it. it. It's a thought to think about if you think that how will I live differently if I knew I had this? How will I plan my life differently? How will I set my values differently if I knew that I had immeasurable greatness because of God's power in my life through my faith? Yeah. How will I live differently? Now, I, I used this illustration a, a couple of months ago. I don't know if you remember it. But I, I just felt this is such a good illustration. I want to read you the story. It, it's the following. A new missionary was assigned a car that would not start without a push. You remember this one? After pondering his, his problem, he, de he de devised a plan. He went to the school near his home and got permission to take some children out of the class and they had to push his car off so that the car can start. As he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running and he used this um, ingenious procedure for two years. That's what he did. Health then, at the, at the end of it, health forced the missionary family to leave and a new missionary came to the station. And when the missionary proudly began to explain his arrangements for getting the car started, the new man or the new missionary began looking under the hood of the car. And before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted. He said, sir, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, stepped out into the car, pushed the switch, and to the old missionary's astonishment, the engine roared to life. <laughs> For two years, needless trouble had become routine. It just became something he was used to. The power there, sorry, the power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept him from putting that power to work. How many of us have this same routine in our Christian life? Oh, there my battery. Oh, you can, you can hear me anyway. Is it okay? How many of us come to a place where that, that just becomes routine in your life? It just becomes routine that this is, who I, that's, this is how I pray, this is how I do things, this is what happens, this is just how things happen. But sometimes we don't realize what God has given us. There was something in our lives that, that has given us immeasurable greatness through the power of God. Well, we don't know about it because we were caught up in the old covenant and law and things in our lives that we, we didn't know how to step out into the new covenant knowing that we are the righteousness of God. Now I want to I use a, a base scripture for us today. For the scripture says in one, one, uh, Romans 1 verse 16, now as I said through the scriptures, if you look at the book of Romans, it's why we, um, Paul used the book of Romans to explain to us the power of the gospel. And how grace has an effect on us from the old covenant into the new covenant. So he started out Romans 1 and verse 16. We all know the scripture very well. It says the following. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. We all know the scripture. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed. I mean how many of us has quoted the scripture that don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be, go and, I mean, we all know that. Am I right? 
That's a very powerful but a very interesting, interesting scripture. He says that there is power of God for salvation for who? For all of us. Not just for one of us. Not just for the obedient. For everyone who believes. Everyone. All. Every human being on earth. Now if I ask the question, what is the meaning of the word salvation, what would your answer be? What is the meaning of the word salvation? We're all, salvation, is, it's easy, right? It's, it's an easy definition. It means to rescue someone from destruction or from danger. That's the, that's the dictionary definition. To rescue someone. It's, a, it's, it's to free someone from something that's holding them onto them or keeping them um, bound up. Am I right? Now the Greek word for salvation is the word soteria. And the context of it in the Greek, soteria, you can give us the next slide, is so much bigger. Look what the word soteria means. It means wholeness, health, blessing, provision and protection. So, so let, me, let me give you a, a quick theological lesson. The Old Testament was was translated out of the Hebrew. The New Testament was translated out of the Greek. So when you take the word salvation and you look at the Greek meaning of the word salvation that says soteria, it means that the word salvation has a total different meaning than we think we, it is. Than we think it is. <laughs> it's got so much, it's got a greater perspective of just the word salvation. Now, give me the next slide. So let's read the scripture, but different. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to wholeness, health, blessing, provision, and protection for everyone who believes. See, that's what the Greek translation actually meant. Some people think that salvation is only going to heaven, but this scripture is not talking about heaven at all. It's not talking about heaven. It refers to a temporal or an earthly wholeness. It refers to your health. It refers to a blessing, a provision, a protection from God. So, for, so, so Paul says, this power of God is for the VIPs in the kingdom. No, no it's not. It's for all who believe. For everyone who believes, there's wholeness. There's health, there's blessing, there's provision in your life, there's protection for you. That God protects us, He provides for us, He, he wants us to be healthy and whole in our lives. So how do we come to believe? It's easy. Through faith. And how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So as we ponder on the Word of God, and we listen to the Word of God, as we listen to scriptures, listen to sermons, as you hear the Word of God, faith comes, and builds, and, and grows in your life. Now very interestingly, Paul says that he is not ashamed of the Gospel. Let's go one back. No, you can leave the scripture there. He says he is not ashamed of the Gospel. Now why would he say this? He is not ashamed of the Gospel. Now, maybe it's, a maybe it's a stupid question that I'm asking if you think about it. Why was Paul ashamed? Now today, if someone says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, they mean that they're not ashamed to preach or to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Am I right? 
That's, that's all. I'm not ashamed to, to be who I am. I'm not ashamed to tell people that I love Jesus. Right? Maybe some people will say, I'm not ashamed to stand at the traffic light and shout out that you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. Is that what Paul said? That he's not ashamed to stand at the traffic light and yell that you're going to turn or burn or hell? You're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. Was that what Paul said? I think it's not what Paul said at all. Why? See, Paul lived in a time that was dominated by Jewish legalistic thinking. Now think about it. The Old Covenant was very, very, was a very serious thing to uphold, to be obedient to the Old Covenant, to be obedient to the law of Moses. Jesus came, He died, something new was released called a new covenant in grace and the gospel of grace. And Paul was preaching this thing because he came out of the Old Covenant and the Jewish legalistic thinking of theology. So we know the, the repercussions if you speak about the grace rather than the law. See, the idea, of someone, um, the idea that someone could be righteous apart from their works or their performance or their obedience, what's a shameful thing? So how can you say that? See, a person would have been stoned or killed proclaiming that they are the righteousness of God apart from, from obedience to the law. That you would have been killed on the street, literally. That you, would have been, you would be stoned to death. So, I mean, that is a serious matter. So if you go and stand on the street corner in that days and you start proclaiming that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you would have been killed right there. That's how aggressive the Jewish culture in that time was. So for Paul saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel, that means that, listen, I will proclaim that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to say that. If it, if it brings death to me, so be it. But I'm not ashamed to let people know that there is immeasurable greatness in God's power through faith for them. You see, it, it, it paints a bit of a different picture if you think about it than Hey, we can walk out here and proclaim the gospel and I'm not ashamed. But what if you walk out here and you know if you talk about Jesus, people will kill you. Then will you be ashamed to speak. See, that was out of the perspective Paul spoke about. He didn't just speak about, oh God, it's easy. We can preach wherever we want to. We can say whatever we want to. No, no, this was a different ball game in that era. See, what Paul declared was that he wasn't ashamed to say that the power that operates in believers, that to give for wholeness, health, blessing, provision, protection, it did not depend on their own works, but on righteousness as a gift from God. It is to say or do something that have consequences. And that can be harmful to us. <laughs> that is how we reign in life. See, that is how we reign in life. Not through works of our religious performance or what we do on a weekly basis like I read my Bible 20 times a week and I've, I've went through the Bible in 90 days and I've done this. No, it's because of the gift of righteousness. All the other things are good. It's good to pray. It's good to read your Bible as much as you can. But it's not because of that that I feel more righteous. It's because of that I have received righteousness as a gift. You see, when... <clears throat> Say, I come to Steve and I give him 500 rand to go and shop. 
do some groceries and, and I just want to bless him today. And in a couple of weeks, um, I called Steve up and said, yes, bro, can you, can you please come and help me just to uh, mow my lawn and do everything? And Steve is like, listen, Eni, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm just busy today. Um, it's impossible for me to come. And I tell him, well, are you, I mean, I just gave you 500 rand two weeks ago. How can you not do this for me? Now, that is not a gift. So I was emotionally tagging him. It's like, I'll give to you, but then I'm, I'm going to have to ask you anything that I want to, and you need to come and do it. See, that's not a gift. A true gift is something that, I'm, that I give. Yeah. And I don't, I don't need works to say, oh, the gift has been given. It's a work-free performance-free gift that God gave us so many years ago. So let, let me ask the next question. What is the conduit of this power? Or what releases this power in our lives? So if I talk about power, immeasurable greatness of God's power through faith, what releases this power? What releases power? Our emotions? So the only thing that, that can move God's hand is not our emotions. It's absolutely not. If you go and you fall on your bed and you cry, it's like, Lord, I haven't eaten for two weeks. Can you please do something? Or, Lord, I, can you just provide a new car? I mean, and, and you just pour out all your emotions to God. It will not move His hand. The only thing that moves God's hand is faith. God is a God of faith. He knows our emotions. He knows our needs. He is in love with us. He, I mean, He's in relationship with us. But what He truly needs from us is to step up in faith to know who we are. Yeah. To step up in faith to say that, Lord, I see nothing around me. I don't have food. I don't have this. Or I don't, I don't have a job. Or I don't have... But <clears throat> in faith, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And if God sees that faith, it's amazing what happens in our lives. That's why Paul said, it's not by, it's not by, um, sorry, it's, it's not by sight, it's, 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 it's not what we see, it's but what we do in faith. Like Paul said, I will, you will show you my faith and I will show you my faith by my works. I don't have just a faith, but I have faith and I go and do it. And I trust God. I had a friend who was so, so empowered, so, he felt so empowered by that scripture that he, he trusted God for a new car. And he was walking by, by the Toyota garage, and he walked in, and he said, how much is this car? It's like, car you want it. And he said, just order one. I'll come and get it next week. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> and ended up not buying the car, but, <clears throat> but at least I was like, yeah, man, come on. At least you, that, that was a step of faith. It was, you had to sometimes have a sound mind in doing things like that. But... <clears throat> But there was something in his life that he came to a place where he said, I have so much faith that God's going to come through that I'm just going to do it. Amen? Sometimes we need to step up so much out of them. I mean, Peter had to sit in that boat. Jesus was coming up. He had to do something because he had faith in his heart to come to Jesus, but he had to step out of the boat. Our faith moves the hand of God to such an extent. So it's our faith that, that releases this power. That's a conduit of this power. Now faith in what? It's easy. Faith in righteousness. In the fact that I am the righteousness of God. Given to me as a free gift. 
And I've been hammering on that <clears throat> all these six or seven weeks as we've done it, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I said last week that when Jesus paid the price, He came and He stood right between us and God. So when God looks at you and me, He looks through His Son to you. Everything is paid. Everything is done. He doesn't look at us. He looks through Jesus at us. So there's no obligation when we come as the righteousness of God. There's only believe and receive. It's only believe and receive. Do you really believe? Then you will really receive. It's so amazing. It's the difference between religion and relationship. What does religion say? Religion says, you have to do this. You have to do this. And you have to do this. What does relationship say? Wow, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Why? Because I love him. It's a big difference between relationship between religion and relationship. Yeah. Someone came to me one day and said, Henny, um, I see you're quite religious. Why? It's like, oh, I'm not religious. Yeah. I'm relationship focused. And he looked at me and said, aren't you in ministry? You, aren't you a pastor? I said, yes. I don't have a religion. I've got a relationship with a, a living God in my life that says that I want to serve him. I want to love him. See, religion says that you have to do this and this and this and brings me under the law that was paid for by Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now let's look at the next verse, verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You all remember this scripture. It's something people quote every day as well. The just shall live by faith. Am I right? The just and the other word for just is righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. If you look at different translations. Now faith for what? Faith to live righteously. See, faith for what will the just or the righteous live by? What do we need to have faith for to live by? Faith that we are the righteousness of God. You see, if it says... The just shall live by faith. Faith for what? Faith that we are the righteousness of God. So the scripture says the following, verse 16 and 17, if I can sum it up. It says, the scripture says that the power of the gospel, verse 16, um, that in the power of the gospel, verse 16, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So let me read it again. It says that in the power of the gospel, Verse 16, the righteousness of God is revealed to us by, from faith to faith. So, I always wondered about this thing. <clears throat> what does from faith to faith mean? From faith to faith. There's a, a scripture in the Bible that says from glory to glory. Why do the writer of the scripture, or God, reiterate it? It's like you will go from year to year. And what does this really mean? I love asking questions like this. What does it mean to, to say that we're going from faith to faith? Now, if you look at the Passion Translation, actually God gave me a revelation about it. Give us the next slide. Now, the Passion Translation says the following. It says, The Gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness. A, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is what the scripture means when it says, we are right with God through life-giving faith. 
Life-giving thing. Two amazing things. We know that, that by now that we receive life, we receive life when we have faith in Christ. Am I right? But so many of us just stay at the receive the life part. We stay at the first faith from receiving life through, th through faith. Yay, I receive life. But we stay there. We get stuck there that say, God, I received life, but now what? But the Bible says you need to move from faith to faith. That means that now you receive faith, but now you need to live in the power of, of faith. Live in the power of what God has given us. You can't just stay this like I received faith, but now I'm waiting. Stop waiting and start living. That's what God is going to do. Start stepping out in faith. Stop stepping out of the boat. Stop, start taking risks in your life where God is saying, like, I, need to have faith. I need you to have faith for this. Yeah. Okay, Lord, I have faith. How do I do it? Now you need to step out and do it. If you're trusting God to buy a new car, then you start browsing for new cars. Do I have the money yet? Oh, no, yet. Not yet. But I'm starting to browse. I'm starting to dream with God. I'm starting to have faith for the new thing. I'm starting, if I want to upgrade my house or you want new curtains in your house, ladies, you don't just sulk and go into emotional, like, oh, I need new curtains in my house. No, you start browsing new materials. You start dreaming what you want to do. You start doing pictures and drawings because you are living, not just staying at the receiving. So that is what faith to faith means. To receive it and then to live it. And then do it every day. You have to grow from faith to faith. If you, I, I remember when I was a young Christian, I had to have faith for my first thing. I remember I was 13 years old. I got radically saved, filled with the Holy Spirit in a camp. And I got home and a couple of weeks after that we had to go on, on, on tour. It's like, I don't know if you remember all the... Standard five tours. I was still in the standards. Now it's now grade seven. You had to go on this tour and then in standard, wherever you go on the next tour. And then there's all this tour. So we had to go to Durban, like just the senior tour in a primary school. And I needed a denim to take on tour. I didn't have one. I, was, I grew too much. And my mom just came to me and said, listen, we don't have the money. But you can trust God. And I'll trust with you. And I was like, what? Okay. So we prayed about it, and I really took it by faith. I trusted God, and I prayed that prayer in my heart. I was trusting God, and every day I prayed and said, Thank you, Lord, for providing. I'm not going to go on a tour without them, because <laughs> I'm not going to be the only guy with, this, with, with shorts. I'm going to at least look nice. And I remember two days before the tour, a lady came to my mom's house and said, She just woke up this morning with this tremendous feeling, and God says that she needs to come to my mom's house and give her son like 200 rand or something. I can't remember. It was ridiculously. That, I mean, it's a long time ago. So jeans were cheap. And, uh, and just give it to her. And my mom called me in and said, I'll just tell him. So that was, for me was the first moment in my life where I really, I had faith for something and God came through. But I'm not at the same level of faith. Through my life, we, I had to step up from faith to faith to trust God for something bigger, to faith to trust God for something bigger, coming to ministry now, trusting God for, for church and to grow churches and, and where we've come through in the last 15 to 18 years. I mean, I had to trust God for my first car. I had to trust God for my wife. Oh my goodness. Amen for that. We had to trust God to get married. I mean, every time it was something new that took us from this level of faith 
to faith. To faith. So don't get stuck at this one level of faith. Step up to the next level. That is what it means that we grow as Christians from faith to faith to faith to faith. If you are studying and you're not married, you just you, you don't have a lot of things to worry about till you get married. Then you have different things you have to have faith for, and it's bigger things and more, sometimes more expensive. Then you get kids, and it just, that is life. And that is what Paul said. Don't get stuck at the one place of faith, just you received the life. Now go to the next level by living on that power and living on that, 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 that revelation. Do you actually, it doesn't make sense what I'm saying. So I want to make a statement regarding that. We actually don't need faith for healing or for blessing or for prosperity. Like what? Are you serious? That's exactly what, you, what, exactly what you're not preaching. Now let me explain to you what I mean. If we just need a higher level of faith being the righteousness of God. And if you catch that revelation of having faith in, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then suddenly a faith to heal, to see healing and see prosperity in your life gets sparked and it goes to the next level. The most important thing that we need to have faith in is that we need to know and have faith in that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if we catch that revelation, the faith for other things becomes easy. You can have faith for greater things if you know who you are. You can't pray for someone for healing if you don't know what your authority in Christ is. Where does the authority come? From knowing your righteousness in Christ. So there's always one thing that sparks all the other. And this is the most important thing about all our sermons that we've done in the last seven or so weeks, that we need to know, and if there's only, thing, if there's only one thing that you remember through this last couple of weeks, is remember that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not apart from your own thing. And remember, God, God set a covenant with man in the old covenant, and man failed. So Jesus had to come, <coughs> reinstate the covenant, do a covenant with his own father, because he couldn't fail, take us out of the equation, and then later on when he was victorious, he brought us back. And says, now I'm giving you authority. I'm putting you into this new covenant. Now you are the righteousness of God through me, Jesus. And if we see ourselves like that, then we can have more faithful things in our lives. Yeah. We can have faith for, for more miracles, more provision, more of the blessings that God has set us up for. See, if we can grow in faith... So, sorry, when our faith grows in that, suddenly our faith is sparked for so many other things. If we can grow in faith in the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the power of soteria, the power of soteria will operate in our lives. The power of being whole, being, being in a place where God provides for us, He protects us, there's blessing for us, there's health in our lives. So let me read the scripture in Romans 9 before, before I close. Romans 9 verse 30 to 33. It says the following. Now this is way into Romans. So look what Paul says. So then, what does, it all, what does all this mean? Here's the irony. The non-Jewish people who weren't even pursuing righteousness were the ones who seized it. A perfect righteousness that is transferred by faith. Yet Israel, even though pursuing a legal 
righteousness, did not attain it. And why was that? Because they did not pursue the path of faith, but insisted on pursuing righteousness by works. As if, uh, sorry, by, by works, as if it could be seized another way. They were offended by the means of obtaining it and stumbled over the stumbling stone just as it was written. Be careful, I'm setting in Zion a stone that will cause people to stumble, a rock of offense that will make them fall. But believers in him will not experience shame. See, the scriptures actually prophesied that the, the, the gospel that Jesus will come and establish, the gospel of grace, will make people stumble over it because they still look at the law. They still look at the, the religion of what the law of Moses gave them. But what Jesus came to establish and what the apostles were preaching that says that we, we moved past the law into a place of a new covenant and a new grace and a new righteousness. I said in previous sermons on this topic, and I'm, I'm, I'm visiting a couple of things again, I said the gospel is, is most often preached as right living. But it's not. The gospel is right believing and right being. It's not right, right living. It's right believing. And if we believe right, then the right living will be the result. Whatever you believe, you will live. I've never seen people who believe things very thoroughly and they live totally something different than they believe. Then you're a hypocrite. But what we believe, we live. That's why I always challenge myself. If I believe that, that God said that we can pray for sick people and they need to be healed, then why am I not living it? And that sparked something in my life that I needed to step up in, in righteousness, step up in the authority that God has given me and do it. Was I scared when I did it? Absolutely. <laughs> but I had faith to step up in it and do it. See, if we see righteousness in the New Testament... If you read, read in the New Testament about righteousness, it, ne it was never about doing. It was never about right doing. It was always about right being. Always about right being. Now I want to close with this this morning. There's only one thing the enemy can come to distract us from the power of that soteria or salvation. One thing. For you, that brings into you, well, there's probably more, but there's one main thing that the enemy comes in with that distracts us to such an extent that we miss this, that we miss being a billionaire and not knowing it, and then come to a place like, why didn't I know this? Now, that one thing is the word worry. It's worry in our lives. See, worry is what? It's fear. And what is fear? Fear is the opposite of faith. So what does the enemy want? He wants us to, do, to live the opposite of faith that releases the power of God in our lives so that he can get us to a place of fear and worry. And if I, if I speak about worry, my hand, both hands are up. Because I have to fight this thing every day in my life. I have to fight worry every day in my life. Why? Because the enemy comes with worrying th thoughts. He comes with what ifs in your life. I mean, that is a, a big one. What if this happened if you do this? What if you don't have money at the end of the month? What if your car breaks down? What if your children doesn't serve God? What if, what if, what if? Everything brings worry into your life. 
But there's such a great scripture and, uh, that Jesus preached on in, in Matthew 6. And verse 27, it's on there, it says, um, and it, you know, he speaks about the birds of the air. Why, why don't you worry when I, when I supply all the needs of the birds of the air? Look at the flowers in the field, how glorious and how amazing they are. <clears throat> but verse 27, it says, Who by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So we spoke about, I started out this morning about what is the value of your life? What brings value into your life? But how can you add an hour to your life or value to your life by worrying? Jesus came and he said this. And he told the people that those who worry, and as you go on to verse 30, he says that those to, to, to worry are, oh, you ones of little faith. He spoke about it. He said that your faith was little Get your faith back to a place where your faith overshadows the worry. See, by worrying, we give the enemy power over our thoughts, over our emotions, and it distracts us from our identity and who we are in Christ. See, fear usually shows us how much we lack. That's what fear does. It shows you the lack in your life. What does faith do? Faith shines the light on what you can accomplish, what God has called you to do. The more faith you have, the more bigger you dream. And the more you want to do. Paul Johnson said the following, and I love this. He said, it is vital to feed on what God is doing more than what He isn't. It is vital to focus or to, or to feed on what God is doing more than what He isn't doing. How many times have I fallen in that trap? It's like, Lord, why aren't you doing all these things? I've been praying for this and praying for this and, and I'm not seeing that. But instead, while I'm moaning about these things, God has done 50 other things. Yeah. And I realize, yeah, my focus needs to be on what God is doing and just trust Him for what I'm believing Him for. Yeah. Matthew 6.33, and if you go to verse 33, he says the one that we know also very well. He says, but first seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Here the word righteousness comes up again. Our number one priority in life is not to develop enough faith to have money, clothes, things in our lives, houses. It's not our number one thing. Our number one priority is to seek His righteousness. In Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for the righteousness that you've paid for. That I can step into. If I know that, if I, if I face for that every day, then suddenly the blessings start following me. Because where? Why? Because my focus is on God and what He's doing in my life rather than, oh, what I need? What do I still need? Oh my goodness, the month is ending. I still need to do this and this. No, no, my, my faith and my focus is on what God has been doing already. See, we start to become a magnet of blessing as we grow and grow and grow and grow in our faith from faith to faith to faith. And then he speaks about the kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom? The kingdom, if you go to Romans 14, 17, I'm going to run through this very quickly. It says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, again. So he says that out of a place of righteousness, righteousness for what? Righteousness that I have a gift of righteousness for God, from God. If you realize that you have a gift of righteousness from God, what happens to you? You step into a place of peace and joy. You step into a place of peace and joy. Worry is far from you. 
That's why God said, or Jesus said, just don't, don't worry about first seek my kingdom where you know that my righteousness is a gift for you. And if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, you will have peace and you will have joy in your life. You will not get stuck on worry that keeps you away from the immeasurable greatness of God's power through faith. You see, we need that in our lives. Righteousness is a gift. And, and, and that's one thing I want to leave with us after we've, we've spoke about this for a couple of weeks is that if there's one thing we remember and all of us remember is that we will remember that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what comes from it means that there's power released through faith. And every time I realize I've got faith that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, faith builds. And as my faith builds, worries go. Worries go. You see, um, I spoke to a couple of young men and people before that struggled through, through stuff that keeps them, keeps them away from God, like habitual stuff in their life. And I said, if you struggle with things in your life, confess the following, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you struggle with, I'm not good enough, start telling yourself, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And see what happens in your heart. See what happens in your, in your spirit and what activates in your spirit once you start confessing that. Amen? Now let me, let me pray with us and as we finish this and we can stand together.